0: Hello, team, and welcome to Bureaucracy. I am your host, Emily Gross, and I am so excited today because we have a very special guest, my really good friend Anna Conradi, who is a fucking badass. (laughs) So. so Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm so happy to have you here. So basically, you know how people say like, oh yeah, they pull in regarding to like, like getting ass or whatnot. I'm like, I pull cool friends. So <laughs> Anna is one of those. So Anna recently had a very interesting experience. This is all in tie of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and the whole tragedy going on and the refugee crisis that's really going there. So Anna is, I'm going to let her do the most explaining, but has ties to that region and spent the past week working uh, at a Polish refugee camp while Ukrainians. So this podcast is going to be all about her experience, all about what happened, and really just kind of give her the opportunity to tell us about what being on the ground was like. So Anna... Why you introduce yourself? So
1: I grew up on like Russian folktales and Russian culture and Russian food because my dad's whole side of the family um, has its roots in Russia and then more recently in Latvia. So I actually am a dual citizen with Latvia, which for those who don't know is like a small Baltic country. It's really fucking beautiful small baltic country and yeah i have a dual citizen uh, dual citizenship with latvia and america i studied russian in high school and college and then some when i was uh smaller when i was a little kid took like russian lessons with this neighborhood teacher who was great um, and she also makes a killer borscht
0: i will put that on there
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I make <laughs> killer borscht yeah <laughs> Very important. um and so so that was like my my personal background right so then my my family has been split and that um you know my dad, my, my nuclear family grew up in Texas. I was raised in Texas. Um, but I have one aunt and uncle who chose to raise their children in Moscow. And so I got a phone call, uh, now like two weeks ago from my dad saying that his brother, Brian, my uncle, um, and their family were going to go to Poland to work at some refugee sites and hopefully raise some money. Um, and my dad was like, this sounds like." Something that we could potentially be helpful in, like let's consider it, weigh the pros and cons, whether whether we would actually be necessary, actually be helpful, um, actually make a sustainable impact, right? So, so just sort of posing these questions initially, um, I started to feel like super conflicted about yeah. going. Um, and I still feel conflicted about my work there, to be completely frank. Um, totally.
0: You bring up a really interesting point and topic of the whole concept of wanting to help, but make sure that your actions are sustainable and that you're not putting yourself in a place where you're more of a burden rather than a help. But I actually think you going over, because you do have actual ties to the area, you do know how to speak the language.
1: And, and my, so is
0: your uncle the one who lives in Moscow? So they live in Austin now, um, okay. but
1: they, they have, yeah, they moved. previously. Pre- yeah, pre- previously. I want to say like, seven six or seven years ago it might be like i don't know a while ago they moved back to the states and spent the last week uh working at predominantly two different refugee centers and take sites um right across the ukrainian border into poland where mostly i was doing like translation work for people who were arriving like straight off the train um and then you know sort of whatever is needed like carrying luggage for people who had been carrying very heavy luggage for a long time, right? Or, um, you know, watching kids. Um, I worked with World Central Kitchen for a bit, um, which was phenomenal, great organization, very conscientious. Yeah, and then got back a few days ago. And now I am back as a teacher in Tennessee. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I mean, like truly, one of the more remarkable impressions that was made on me during the week was how many people felt betrayed because they felt Russian, right? Like, there are absolutely ethnic Ukrainians that are being displaced here um, who don't feel these like personal family ties to Russia per se, but a lot of Ukrainians have family in Russia. They are ethnically Russian and not Ukrainian. um, Right. Because the 10 second synopsis of like the, the Russian Ukrainian history is that Ukraine um, has had like a very long history of colonization. Right. So, so in 19 like 17 with Russian independence, they got there. Their own sovereignty very briefly, but then, you know, flash forward five years in 1922, they became uh, a Soviet state again. And it wasn't until um, the dissolution of the Soviet Union that they got sovereignty and independence again, which was like ultimately 1991, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Which is like 30 years ago which is crazy. Yeah, and, and since then, there's been a lot of Russian influence and in some sort of, like, explicit political ways and some sort of more, like, corrupt oligarch influence ways, right, in Ukraine. So, anyway, long story short, a lot of political ties, a lot of cultural ties and a lot of like direct family ties between Ukraine, Ukrainians and, and Russia. Right. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these people are like, what the fuck? Like, this is my, <laughs> this is, these are my, you know, this is, this the is my family. family. These are, yeah." yeah. Um, and they yeah. didn't have any reason to sort of think that they were at risk from somebody in their backyard prior to this uh, extreme exactly. crisis. Right.
0: So, yeah. so what was your experience when you first arrived the people that you met what was that like?
1: You know, I'm, I'm having, like, a little bit of a hard time the last few days answering concisely the question of, like, how was it? What did you do? Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, it was really hard um, and, like, heavy the whole time. And also that was, like, nothing compared to, like, the, the hardship and heaviness that the people that I was interacting with were dealing with in the moment, right? Yeah, so we we got an RV in Lithuania because our – our thought was that we didn't know what the like resource pool would be like when we got there in terms of like food and water mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And also, you know, had done reading, which suggested that there was like infrastructure pressure being put on the intake cities right. by these volunteer organizations and in the, the refugee crisis itself. Right. And so, yeah, we got this RV loaded up on Lithuanian food, which is fucking good um (laughs) (laughs) um, and and drove into the the far east side of where were you exactly um I will say I'm gonna butcher the names but we were in two cities one was Hrabin um I'm gonna I don't think I'm pronouncing that exactly correctly and then it's more it's
0: better than what I could do
1: (laughs) (laughs) the second one was uh Shrimshul it's spelled like PRZ something all right well that's that one (laughs) I know we were trying to figure out how to pronounce it like the entire time. <laughs> 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 like, like
0: we'll just say Poland. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> no, we, were, we were in Poland. I know that much. We were in Poland. Cool. Um And so yeah, so we drove the first. The first place we went to, my aunt and Tyler had a contact from her days in Moscow, who was working at and her and that was a relatively like small intake site because they were only accepting people coming over in cars, and then sometimes on foot. Um, there was no like train station or anything gotcha. that we were working at um and yeah we only stayed there for one day um because we realized like pretty quickly that there wasn't like a ton of need for our presence other than translation and some of our group felt more comfortable with that than others gotcha. and to be fair I didn't feel super comfortable with it at the very beginning because no. I hadn't really spoken Russian in a couple of years um but it comes back quick you know totally yeah when So when you're throwing those
0: moments you're like i'm going oh yeah. to pick it up yeah again. your Absolutely. brain
1: is yeah sort of like remarkable and its ability to like it's freaking just, nuts yeah, yeah just it like
0: it knows like when it. it needs to turn itself on and it's like we got this yeah, yeah but then when it's
1: like done it's like sorry,
0: sorry. sorry. <laughs> yeah like 99% of the time you
1: have four brain cells
0: and that one yeah. person you're like
1: what the fuck yeah. And so then we drove to Shemshul, which is the other site, which was huge. I mean, that was like, I think one of the two biggest intake spots intake take locations. Um, and people were coming in the thousands um, wow. constantly. They weren't really staying there. The, the motive was, I mean, the, the sort of intention of most of these people coming in was to get across the border and get the fuck to where they needed to go. But like the, the question was like, where? where do they go? Right. Some of them had family members yeah. elsewhere which was, you know, lucky, Uh, and often they had no plan or didn't know where to go. So some of our work was sort of helping them, um, you know, helping talk through, like, what are the options? What cities are handling this well?
0: And what are those options?
1: Biden just issued a statement saying 100,000 refugees were... You know, welcome in the states, which is great, right? There are like free train tickets to refugees, pretty much all through Western Europe, yeah, and Mm -hmm. most, yeah, most of Europe, right? Um, so so they could get to Germany super easily. They could get um, to other places in Poland, to Lithuania, to Latvia, Finland, pretty easily, right? Um, we had we saw lots of people offering rides to other places. My dad actually drove. Um, a family yeah. to Warsaw one one afternoon, like there were individuals top of the sort of like the cities and organizations responding to make sure people got where they needed to go in in Europe. Right. That doesn't mean that like they could get anywhere. Right. I, ha- I helped one woman or actually didn't help one woman who like really wanted to get to London. And I only knew how to get her as far as Berlin. And I was like, someone mm-hmm. there can probably help you. I just don't know because the sites aren't connected. Um, yeah. And she said, pretty angrily and validly so right i'm a refugee shouldn't i be able to get anywhere in the world for free um and i'm like <laughs> of course you should right like i yeah. absolutely agree with you and and money is always sort of part of the the conversation right but how do you like say that to somebody who's like displaced
0: who's displaced um, and going through the most dramatic experience of yeah. their life and, and, this, and never going home
1: is literally like she's my age like it's just oh. you know i don't know it's a weird thing to be able to like have to like look somebody in the eyes and be like i actually can't help you um
0: yeah, and then be like i'm gonna go home to my like safe space yeah it's yeah. terrible
1: yeah 100 yeah absolutely i mean this is like a, a massively huge crisis right yeah. so also i don't know if you've
0: seen that they're like russia's maripol like they that's the city that russia's like been decimating recently and they're shipping ukrainians basically to far east russia with like no trace
1: i had not seen that wow yeah. um that's Unfortunately, not terribly surprising. surprising. Russia is getting hit like pretty hard economically by all this. Um and so those kinds of acts just like reek of desperation a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well Putin's a desperate bitch. And this is why he's being a tool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He is a tool. <laughs> that he's is a the fucking
0: tool. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> he looks like a penis and he acts like a small one. Okay. Um that being said. Yes talk to us about some of the people that you met.
1: Cool. Um, yeah, I am shocked by how many connections I made there because a lot of the, the days were kind of just like wheels turning, you like welcome people, you take them to where they need to go. And then you go back to the platform and you greet the next wave of people and you, you know, someone will inevitably come up to you. You're wearing the orange vest that says, And I speak English on the back, right? And okay. so they'll ask for, take me here, take me there. I need this, I need that. I need a SIM card. I need a train ticket, whatever, right? Okay. Um, however, I ended up with maybe more than expected with a couple people who I ended up staying with for like longer periods of time who maybe needed a place to sleep that night or needed a few different things. And for whatever reason, I was helpful to them Um in, in sort of like getting those things checked off their list. Right. Yeah. And, and one of those people I've just been like thinking about, I, I greeted her off, off of the train and she was with, um, two other people. And honestly, I don't know if this is inappropriate to say, but I'm going to say it like immediately they looked queer. And so yeah. I was just kind of like, You're like,
0: ding 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 ding." <laughs> yeah,
1: I was kind of like, huh? Like I already just feel kind of like, you know, whatever, led to flashing. I I, I sort of wondered a little bit towards her and she wondered a little bit towards me. And um, she has like, Um, like blue painted tattoo eyebrows and she's wearing a cool hat and she has like flower tattoos on her hands and I just like was I was like oh if I met you in a coffee shop anywhere I would like think you were like fucking cool right and then she comes up to me and she's asking me for help and I like don't understand her at first and I'm thinking because sometimes I didn't really understand the Ukrainian I had to try a few times because it's not Russian it's different It's it's a unique language right and then I realized that she was actually at least partially deaf. Um, And so the way that she spoke was like a little guttural and just like a little bit different than than what I had been used to hearing the last few days. And she was reading my lips remarkably well. So I hadn't noticed at first because she was understanding me, but I wasn't uh, yet understanding her. So I like took her to get a SIM card and waited in line with her to get a train ticket, um I wish I could remember where I would have loved to have like gotten her contact information but it felt weird you know right um and anyway the whole the logistics don't really matter the whole the whole time she's like talking with her hands in this like universal not like sign language but just like wow this is crazy you know or like god I forgot or whatever like those sorts of things and we were like we just, I just started like sort of doing it too, like mirroring her, and she kept like looking at me and just just being like, "Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you," in obviously in Russian or Ukrainian. When she left, first of all, we did the whole like emotional goodbye. I cried, she cried, which yeah. only happened a couple times because I was like, "I better fucking hold it together because yeah. this is not about me and whatever," you know. um But I cried and she cried too and hugged, and then when she left, I had to go and walk away because I was just like. Holy fuck. Two things struck me about this. One, this woman is not just experiencing hardship, but probably hardship, which is magnified tenfold by product of her, I don't know whether she would have used the word disability, but disability, right? Um, In that the process of the refugee intake was like, Not accessible, (laughs) right? No. Um. It's loud, and people are shouting answers at one another, and people are holding up signs sometimes that say "bus to Lithuania," but often they're just like "bus to Lithuania" or whatever. And I'm just thinking, like, this woman has a terribly, like, long road ahead of her that's going to be harder. Than than everyone else's already hard thing, right? And then also just like she was so fucking kind, like with her hands. I don't know how to describe that, but just like really kind. Um a connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. it just like hit me. Um and there were like a few of those, right? There were a few of and all every single person in my family like had a moment like that. My aunt had her set of stories that like really got her. And my uncle had his and my dad had his, Elizabeth had hers, my sister, right? So so everyone had like a few people that just like really—I don't know—like a mirror
0: of yourself in a way. You, I I like,
1: it's a mirror of your friends. It's a mirror yeah. like that. Woman was this like beautiful, cool, probably like maybe queer, if not <laughs> queer adjacent, like artist type who like would have been in our friend group or we would have like gone and heard her at an open mic My- but, like,
0: whatever. <laughs> just like someone you could have seen yourself in a different situation in a different yeah. world having a connection with that was yeah. not one that was based off of like survival mode
1: no for sure and and like most of these people were just like like strikingly kind and like humble and patient the circumstances like okay we met this one family from donbass which is one of those regions which has been at war with russia since like right. 2014 right and so that's far. been in the news yeah. for a really long time Yeah, really long time. And then like six months ago, this woman who has only small children decided like enough is enough. I can't raise my children in like a war torn area anymore. So she leaves with the kids. And then five months later, they're in Kiev and Russia invades Ukraine. (laughs) And so... This woman's children have only lived five months of their entire lives without war. And that's striking, right? Like their lives are not going to be easy after this, but like at least they're physically safe. So all of us had these like sort of hard standout moments and I appreciated all sort of like emotions that were there, whether it was like just stoic, like I need to like get, get my kids out and just get through this or... Sadness, which we did see some of, but not as much as I would have expected. Um, anger, I saw a lot of. I heard like one, like, had to have been 2,000 years old, lady said to me, Do you know where Putin belongs? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I have an idea, but <laughs> what do you think? Um, and she said, Putin belongs on the floor or like in the ground, right? Yeah. <laughs> there were a couple kids that like really stood out to me because the kids were like, I don't know if it's because like kids don't really know what's going on or if they did, but they're just stronger. Processing than, like, it in a like, different way. Life. Yeah. yeah. Um, but these kids, despite all of the the chaos, were still all about play. We're yeah. still all about being self-sufficient. It was mom wears the juice and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? The people were strong. And sad and angry, but they were just like gonna figure it out. Like I have, I just feel very strongly that all of those people that I interacted with are going to be okay because if they got that far, then like they can do anything. So
0: where were the trains coming from?
1: All over the place. Yeah, I don't think there was like one. Some some people had been traveling only like two days, and some people had been traveling for a few weeks. So
0: it just sounds chaotic and it sounds terrible. And the strength of these people is just something that I think can is admired by all. You know, so.
1: Yeah, it was so chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> there was simply not enough space. So was it
0: an established refugee no, center? No, no,
1: this is like a little town. Um, Shrimshill. Shrimshill. <laughs> 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 So it's a tiny town in Poland. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, let's put, put a, like, bleep me and put a subtitle on. <laughs> when we were reading about it, all of the news outlets were saying, like, this beautiful medieval town. That was true, but it was also, like, a proper city. Like, it was pretty big. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it probably had ever experienced anything like this before. Poland has experienced refugee crises, right? Like, right. there are Syrian refugees in Poland now. Yeah, I don't think this particular town or most of the refugee and intake towns had experienced anything of this sort of level of chaos before but the funny thing was that most of the Polish people that we saw who like were just in the town and not working right. at the site were just like as if it wasn't there which was really interesting it's like they're still right. going to the shopping malls which, like they should right like this is still their life Right. So
0: when the Ukrainians arrived were they confined to this one area or were they allowed to leave as yeah. well not and was there any intake I don't know what goes on inside an in refugee and this is something that is so just popped up and people are just trying to manage all these people and make sure that they get to safety in some way. So I was just curious about what the logistics were.
1: So there's different types of refugee sites. This was just like an intake center. So there was no longevity to people's stays at this one. Others, I think 18 months was the number that I heard thrown around and I, it could be longer or shorter in other ones, but Warsaw was allowing people to stay for long periods of time. I think Hamburg, Berlin probably are allowing people to stay. Yeah, so, but the one I was at, the one that I spent the most time at anyway, that was just get people safely across and then get them to where they need to go. There were, like, a couple convention centers, theaters, sports arenas, like, things like that that were being used as, like, makeshift temporary refugee sites, like, so that people could have a place to shower and sleep for a night or two. But the town's infrastructure could not handle. It's too... I mean, it's a 60,000-person town. It's not, like, it's bigger than we thought. It's not big, though, you know? I think it's 2 million people um, have fled Ukraine already. And the majority, the strong majority of those people are in Poland.
0: I mean, was there any dialogue? Like, do people think they're going to be going back to Ukraine anytime soon? Like, how are people going back to Ukraine?
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is super interesting. A lot of people... We're coming into the refugee intake centers and then basically realizing that they didn't have a plan here. Where are you going to stay? Where are you going to work? How are you going to provide for your family? I have small children. You know, can I, someone watch them while I figure it out, right? Right. All of these questions um, right now are being answered with, I don't know, for the most part, unless they wanted to stay at a refugee center, right, for months, but you can't stay there forever, right? And so sometimes, unfortunately, these people would come across, realize that they'd traveled all of this way, not to have any sort of safety net, I guess, and then they would actually return back. Yeah, I I spent a very long time with a mother who was supposed to meet her children in Trimshil, and then wasn't able to, her children were still in Ravaruska, which is like right across the border from the town I was first in. And she, she was like, fuck it. I can't stay here. while well, my, my children, my teenagers are still in Ukraine. And so she literally went back across the border after oh. traveling all the way to, to come and meet them. Yeah. So they are. Um. These people are willing to do literally anything. It's mostly mothers right now. Anything to provide for their children and make right. sure their children are safe.
0: Because I saw um, men between ages 18 to like 65 or something were not allowed oh, to leave. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't see. I saw four teenage boys there probably the whole time I was there and some like grandfathers and that's it. Everyone else was right. women and children. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I gave a, like a, a teach-in lecture to the kids at my high school about like, protest movements in Ukraine <laughs> um, and sort of the precedent of anti-colonialism that Ukraine has set over the past, I mean, really, like, 100 years, but really, okay. like, since 2014. And I was, like, trying to just elaborate a little bit on the ways in which Ukraine has attempted to move closer politically towards the West through, mm-hmm. you know, through NATO, EU, all of the things, right? American alliance, all the things, right? And consistently, as Ukraine has tried to sort of become closer to the West, russia has put more and more and more pressure on ukraine i mean like crimea is like a a response to anti-russian pro-western sentiments in ukraine in a lot of ways yeah i don't think anyone thought it would be this extreme though yeah
0: it's uh it's pretty brutal
1: i don't think most people thought we would see something like this in our lifetime you know
0: not in europe which no, I think not comes
1: in not in Europe, yeah, exactly.
0: Which I think is what comes down to this uh, whole surprising factor for a lot of the West, yeah. um, which is problematic in itself and something that everyone needs to be aware of—the
1: ethical quandary of like that whole conversation is, like, there are so many other refugee crises in the world. And a thing that a lot of those crises have in common is um, that the brown people who are those displaced people. And I have never seen of any, like, political event catastrophe in my 24 years, um, something which has received this much global attention and Mm -hmm. humanitarian aid. I'm so glad they're getting the help, and I also want help to be democracy. distributed to
0: everyone else in yeah. the world that is severely suffering who the western media has not given attention to
1: yeah for sure i just would urge people to like if you feel really inclined to help these refugees ask yourself the question
0: like would you help an afghani family the same exactly, way that you're helping literally exactly
1: right like yeah. why is it this crisis that makes me feel something um yeah. and why not that crisis why not that crisis right right so I don't know. which
0: that being said What's going on in Ukraine is like very drastic and very horrible and it is causing a severe refugee crisis. But it's like as we keep this in mind and as we continue to give this the voice that it needs to have because what's happening is such an atrocity. It's also important that we apply the same type of thought process and the same heartbreak for the Ukrainians for any other Group of people in the world that are being persecuted and being forced into refugee status.
1: Yeah, it's like both Um, of those things can be true, right? Like, this is exactly that deserves so much attention, so much aid, and also, (laughs) and also, next time,
0: unfortunately, there will be another crisis in the world, react the same way that you're reacting now.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So I have no other questions. Is there anything else you would like to add about your experience?
1: I would say that if people want to get involved or donate research and also like anecdotes from people on the ground are both like out readily accessible on the internet. From my experience, World Central Kitchen is an organization planning on being in Ukraine and Poland. I think four other countries in Europe. As long as it takes, they were amazing. So so that's one that I would really say donate yes. to them. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my family raised quite a bit of money. I think we're at like five thousand awesome. or something. And oh I think my god! A big bulk of that's going to go to World Central Kitchen. Yeah, and then and then also just like awareness, like keep having conversations. There are ways to like affect change here, and more than that, there like are ways that we can individually and structurally, systemically prevent fascism. And I think that like starts at the conversation level. So like, I really appreciate what you're doing. I don't know. We we do a lot of talk sometimes and no action, and I think mm-hmm. the talk is important, but it has to be a starting point, right? So absolutely,
0: guys. I am. Um... So happy that Anna was able to be with us and share about her experience. Once again, keep an ear to the ground, keep donating money, support local Ukrainian businesses, make sure that you're paying attention. And then also remember, when something else arises in the world and you see another crisis going on, do the same thing that you would do now too, because it's important that we're all there for every single person in the world and that we give everyone a fair chance. So I am your host, Emily Gross. This has been another great episode of Bureaucracy, and we'll be back next week.